Well, how you doing out there? You doing all right? You still alive? Okay, all right, here are a few voices out there. You're ready to go. Uh, let's get into Genesis chapter 17. It's amazing to me how uh, as the weather gets warmer in the summer, we kind of acclimate to it a little bit. But early in, is this the summer, by the way? I think, I think maybe we're, we're in it finally here. Uh, but as we get acclimated, uh, we kind of build up, build up our capacity. Last year, there were times when I preached and it was in the mid, low to mid-90s. Uh, and right now it's in the low 80s. Uh, so can you imagine adding another 10 degrees uh, to this? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, we are working on a few things to make your experience a little bit better in the field. I think next week we're going to have some large uh, kind of sails, I hear. They're going to be anchored, so they're not going to uh, float away. But large sails in the center here uh, to help you with shade as well. Uh, but thank you so much for coming. We pray God gives you stamina, grace, and strength. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis 17. Uh, we're going to be looking only at eight verses today in Genesis chapter 17. I decided to uh, take this text, this narrative, and handle it in two parts uh, because we're going to be uh, partaking in the Lord's table together uh, today as well. Uh, but Genesis chapter 17, and so in accordance with celebrating the Lord's table, we come uh, to this very important Old Testament text, this text uh, is a chapter in the scripture that uses the word covenant, I think, more than just about any other chapter uh, in the scripture. Uh, it's, it's found 13 times in this chapter alone, that word covenant. And so uh, this text is an important one. And so we slow down a bit on it. It speaks of God's covenant to Abraham. In this uh, narrative, uh, the section comes in two parts. There are two significant parts. You have the appearance of God, verses 1 through 21, and then you have Abram's response, verses 22 through 27. The appearance of God is by far the greater, lengthier uh, section of Genesis chapter 17, and you can see right in the middle of verse 1, that uh, God indeed appears to Abram. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said. And then uh, down in verse 22, you can see that the appearance is over. Verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abram. Uh, so this first part of the chapter is a theophany where God will appear and speak to Abram. Now we have seen in other narratives in Genesis where God speaks to Abram. And has things to say to him. This one's a bit different because this is less a dialogue where two people are going back and forth, God, then Abram, God, then Abram. That's what's been happening so far. But this is more a monologue. This is God having a lot to say to Abram. God actually, in the appearance section, gives five, five speeches to Abram. And Abram only responds one very brief time. And so as we come to this part of the text, we're going we're gonna to hear a lot about what God is doing, what God promises to Abram. Uh, today I want to look at the first two speeches in verses 1 through 8. And so I invite you to look there in your Bible. Let me read this text for us, Genesis 17, verse 1. When, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. And be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. 
Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, as we consider this significant Old Testament text and your self-revelation to Abraham, as we come to you today in this field to worship you through Christ, we admit to you that we need a fresh vision for who you are today as well. Lord, we use phrases like Almighty God without being moved by what this tells us about you. So today, I humbly come before you, Father, and ask that you would crush us, that you would show us today your presence, your power, and your strength, so that we too would fall on our faces, being overwhelmed not only by our sinfulness as we partake in the table today, but overwhelmed by your grace to us and your strength on our behalf. Lord, help us as we study this text today, give us strength to pay close attention to the word. There's no other place, Father, that we can go and be so confident that when, when we look at it, when we see it, that it will tell us something about you. This text tells us something about you. You are all, almighty God. Help us, Lord, to see that and to recognize its significance today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the beginning of this passage, of course, we see that God appeared and he speaks to Abram. When God first gave promises to Abram, back in Genesis chapter 12, he had a certain formula. God started with a command, go out from your country. And then he gave Abram, if you remember Genesis chapter 12, he gave Abram six promises. Go out from your country and... uh, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's interesting to me that in Genesis chapter 17, when God is reiterating it, when he's taking those promises and he's just giving us a little bit more information about them, that he follows that same formula. He starts with commands, two commands in our text, and he gives two promises right after that. Uh, Now, one of the interesting things you should notice about this text as we begin is that at the end of Genesis chapter 16, we're given a certain time perspective. Look at Genesis 16, 16. It says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And then in chapter 17, in verse 1, uh, it says, When Abram was 99 years old. 
So one of the interesting phenomenons about this text is that there's a 13-year gap between Genesis 16 and 17. 13-year gap of silence. Imagine what this must have been like for Abram. God had promised that he would give him a son through Sarah, a child through Sarah. And it's been 13 long years of waiting. But then, suddenly, God breaks through the silence saying this in Hebrew, Ani El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. This is the first time that God will reveal himself by this name in the Bible. Earlier, we learned things about the name of God and the way he'd reveal himself to different people. Remember Melchizedek, the great high priest of God. To Melchizedek, he revealed himself as El Elyon, God the Most High, the one over it all in Genesis chapter 14. In the last chapter, in Genesis chapter 16, Hagar had retreated into the wilderness. She was all by herself. She'd been... Uh, She'd been neglected by Sarah and, and uh, that, that whole narrative from last week. And after all of that, God reveals himself to her as El Leroy, the God who sees me. Here we come across another name that's compounded with the Hebrew word El. This time it's El Shaddai. And El Shaddai is uh, an interesting title for God. It's one that is difficult to distinguish there's a whole host of different theories about it, yet there's not conclusive evidence about exactly what this name means, El Shaddai. As I look at the evidence and consider all of the different people who've written on this and, and try to bring to light what this name reveals about God, I think the best view is to say that this, this name for God speaks of his ability to make nature bend to do his will. So I like the English translation, almighty. God is not just mighty, he is almighty. And since he is supernatural, he subdues nature to perform his will. He can do with nature and creation anything he wants to accomplish his will. I think he identifies himself as El Shaddai, the Almighty God, because he's just about ready to bring life to the dead womb of a 90-year-old woman, Sarai. And to re life again from the re to the reproductive abilities of a 100-year-old man in order to fulfill his promises. He is the Almighty God. Now this title for God becomes quite familiar to the patriarchs, to Abram, Isaac and Jacob, they get used to it. While we might not know exactly what it means, this is a name they hear over and over again. I want to show you this in just a few texts. Go to Genesis chapter 28. I'll look with you at verses 1 through 4. Go to Genesis 28, verses 1 through 4. You know, if you're just reading sometimes, we just see this phrase, God Almighty. We don't think of, uh, much about it, but I want to show you how this becomes important to the covenant people of God. Genesis 28 and verse 1, of course, Abram's son uh, it, later on is a man by the name of Isaac, and he has a grandson, Abram, and his name is Jacob. So this text, you have Isaac talking to Jacob. It says in verse 1, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, 
Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you that you may take possession, possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abram. In Genesis chapter 17, the text we're reading, you'll see a lot of these similar words. These words first given to Abraham are repeated here as, as Isaac is talking to Jacob and he refers to God as God Almighty, the one who's going to bless him and make him fruitful and multiply him. Now turn over to Genesis 35 and I'll just read one other text with you. Genesis 35 and once you look at verse 9. Here after Jacob goes down to Paran Aram, or Padam Aram, God appears to Jacob. And in Genesis 35 and verse 9, it says this, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. So be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your body. The land that I gave to Abram and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Again, I just wanted to read this text to, to show you how these original promises to Abram in Genesis chapter 17 are repeated for generations to different of the patriarchs. And here the title God Almighty is used and a promise that God is going to multiply their seed and bring them many descendants. And he's going to give them the land of their sojourning, the land that they've been uh, traveling around on. Did you notice as well the similarities between this text and Genesis 17? In Genesis 17, God changes the name of Abram to Abraham. Here he changes the name of Jacob to Israel. There are similar things going on. This argues that these are very important texts. This is a very important self-revelation from God. He is the one who bends nature to perform his will. He is El Shaddai, the Almighty God. May I just take a moment and, and, and make an application for us and just say, I mean, isn't it, shouldn't it just be obvious to us that sort of comfort and confidence that comes from such a name as this? Nothing is impossible for God. He can and he will do whatever he chooses to fulfill his promises for us as well. Perhaps you're here today in the field and you're facing your own difficulties. Maybe it hasn't been 13 years of silence from God regarding the trial and the challenge that you're going through. May God break through that silence today to you as well and say this to you, I am El Shaddai. I am Almighty God. And may that be a source of comfort to you. After identifying uh, himself to Abram in this way, God gives two commands to Abram, two orders. These commands, I think, are intended to work together. So you look down in your Bible, verse 1 again, Genesis 17, 1, when Abram was 90 years old, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Here are the two commands. Walk before me and be blameless. 
walk before me and be blameless. I want to look at these two orders from Abram. First, he says, walk before me. Walk in my presence. Walk consciously aware of me. Here, Abram is to live a life in which every step, every step involves awareness of God. I think this is a little different than uh, phrases we've seen earlier in Genesis. You remember Noah and Enoch, they walked with, with God. This is different. This is a different preposition. Walk before me. Walk before me. I, I, instead, I, I think this is a command given to Abram that he would walk about in his life before God in God's presence. Later on in Genesis chapter 15, we're going to see that this command is used literally of the, the brothers of Joshua, or uh, of Joseph, I should say, who walk before him into his presence when he's a ruler of the people. But here, when used metaphorically, I think that this phrase, walk before me, speaks of accountability and transparency. It's like the ancient sermon of a, uh, an old preacher. His name was Andrew of St. Victor. Concerning this passage, he said this. He says, live as if you were always in God's presence. Who would not be ashamed to sin even a little in the presence of some great man, much less God? You see, I think just about all of the sins that we commit in this life occur because we fail to give significance to this idea. Walk about in the presence of God. Speaks of God's abiding presence, which I think should give us joy in our heart when we face challenges. It's our joy. It's our strength, when strength of my soul, when I face temptation throughout the week to fail or to falter in the ways I have before. It's the strength of my soul to know that God is there. I'm walking about in his presence. To this, Abram adds this second command, be blameless. Some translations, be perfect. Oh, that's comforting, right? (laughs) He is El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. So this is what you do. Walk before me and be blameless. But what does this word mean? The Hebrew word is tamim. What does blameless mean here? I think it speaks not of absolute moral perfection. Uh, Later on, I think these words are going to be used to describe the way Abram obeyed God. And we know already, we know already from Genesis 12 through 16, Abram kept falling. He was not perfect. He sinned. And so what does this word mean? I I think the word blameless here uh, speaks of living before God with integrity or sincerity. I agree with one scholar, Bruce Walkey, who says it means to live with integrity This means that we must not be hypocritical, saying one thing but living in another way when we're by ourselves. The the Hebrew word would have the idea of a wholeness to it, of a whole relationship. And so I think what he's saying is walk in this way with a sense of wholeness, your whole being, your whole heart, all of your desires. God desires for Abram to walk about before him and to follow him wholly with integrity. He says, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. To these two commands, he gives two promises in verse 2. He says that he would make a covenant with Abram and he would multiply him greatly. 
But then in verses 3 through 8, he continues, and I want to look at his second speech. Look down in your Bible at verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between you and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. For sake of time, I won't point out everything about this text, but a few things stuck out to me this week. One, did you notice Abram's immediate response? (laughs) Thirteen years of silence are broken. God speaks into his condition. And what does he say? He says, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And Abram falls, falls on his face. Now here, I don't think that Abram is being rebellious or refusing to God, God's demands. It's not like a parent telling a child, get up and walk, okay, and then the child just falls. That's not it. Abram's not being rebellious. He's not refusing. Instead, he falls out of reverence for who God is. Men and women, I, I think this is an, uh, an appropriate expression of awe before God. This is Abram being completely and utterly overcome with, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. He's overwhelmed by this revelation about God. And this is what we as sinful humans do when we get a sense of who God really is. Have you ever fallen on your face before God before? Have you ever been so overcome by the nature of your own sinfulness? And by the nature of his transcendence, that you can't do anything but fall down on your knees before him, being overwhelmed by him. Just reading this text, I couldn't help but think of the the New Testament text where Jesus gives a parable about two men. Luke 18, I'll read it to you. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Listen to Jesus' final exclamation here. For everyone, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here I think Abram is kind of slain by this vision of who God is. And so he falls on his face. And God reveals a few things to him. 
God first expands his original promises to Abram. Back in Genesis 12, and I don't know if you've ever picked this up in your Bible reading, but back in Genesis 12, he says, I will make of you a, a, a great nation. Here in Genesis chapter 17, the, the way the promise comes from God is, I'm going to make out of you a multitude of nations. Of course, it's obvious to us if we pay attention to Scripture and the way salvation history has gone, that Abram was the father of more than one nation. He fathered Isaac, who Isaac becomes the father of 12 Arabian tribes, likely perhaps even some of the people around Israel today, like the Palestinian people. And Isaac's, of course, the father of the Jewish people and 12 Hebrew tribes. But then God, fittingly as well, changes Abram's name. He changes it from Abram, which means exalted father which itself reveals the blessings of God to a man who could not have a child with his wife, exalted father. He changes it to Abraham. In Hebrew, Avraham means the father of a multitude. The first part of the name Av or Ab means father. The second part, Raham, means multitudes, a great number. God will make him the father of a great number. And he explains to Abram finally that these promises are everlasting. It's an everlasting covenant. It's a covenant, uh, this word everlasting means for all time. Brings with it a sense of constancy. These promises will remain and Abram's descendants will enjoy the land and this covenant, under this covenant, for all time. And to these future generations, God will be their God. As we consider this text today, and we prepare for the Lord's table, might this text about God help us? In this text, I've been struck again with the reality that God is so gracious to Abram. Abram has sinned over and over and over again, and yet God comes and he gives to him these promises. These promises are undeserved. Yet within the text also, I think especially uh, helpful to us as we partake in the Lord's table would be the appropriate behavior that God calls Abram to live. He says, walk before me and have integrity. As we transition now to the Lord's table, let's remember that our lives are lived out before the presence of God. Every action we performed, every thought that we performed this past week was lived out before the presence of El Shaddai. And let's take a few moments in quiet reflection as we look at ourselves. Perhaps this week, You've been walking around in integrity and wholeness. Rejoice, thank God for that, that he through Jesus has empowered you to do that. Perhaps there are others of us who at times throughout this course week, we, we have not said no to the flesh. Have you, for instance, this week refused to slander others in your family or your workplace or at church? 
Slander, I think, means you're, you're changing things slightly, slightly to fit your narrative, your story. Have you been serving God in sincerity and integrity? As we prepare for the Lord's table, I invite you to take some time to think about that.